1: Ego and check, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello and welcome. I'm Peter Eyes, and you're listening to the Stages Podcast. Thanks for joining us. An element of production that is so crucial to the success of a musical or play is an invisible one. The potency and power of sound design serves to support a work through a vibrant oral experience. Our theatrical forms are reliant on quality and clarity with amplification and resonance. Such is the fragile and sensitive nature of sound production in the theatre. With the musical, it is about ensuring a balance of sound contributed to by actors' voices, spoken and sung, orchestral brilliance and sound effects. A vessel through which the sound is transferred to an attentive audience is the microphone, more specifically radio mics attached to an actor to relay story, emotional range, and vocal prowess. I'm thrilled that we can investigate this vital component of musical theatre with Stage's guest today, sound technician Jennifer Morgan. Jen is a much valued, adored and essential presence backstage at many commercial musical theatre productions, as she maintains, manages and manipulates the amplification of sound, ensuring the performers are able to fulfil their duties with ease and confidence. She also possesses a great sense of humour and fascinating insight to the magic of sound. Jen has recently completed a season of Mary Poppins in Sydney and now travels with the company to Brisbane. Here's my delightful conversation with Jennifer Morgan. <laughs>
1: oh my God, I love it that I'm doing this with you. you? I keep seeing you on Facebook and just going, oh, Peter, it's just so, so so many lovely memories of you. Well, it's so
0: long ago now, isn't it? It so would have been um, uh, the end of the 90s. It was about 98, I think, an, an ideal Wizard husband.
1: Wizard of Oz? Oh, no. No. I did Wizard was... of Oz with you.
0: Didn't we do an ideal husband?
1: We did an ideal husband as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. But that we was Wizard of Oz th-
1: was after that. Yeah,
0: we worked twice.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah Wizard of Oz was, um, still, it was before 2000. No, it wasn't, I beg your pardon, it was 2001 because uh, it capitalised on the uh, yes. fame of Nikki Webster, yes. who was strung up Young. at the Olympics and flown. And then they strung yes. up Dorothy and flew her in the Wizard of Oz. I know. So that's exciting.
1: That's exciting.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and I have very fond memories of you too, Jennifer Morgan. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, testing one, two, one, two, one, two, three.
1: You're very like that? good. You've got. You have a very good voice.
0: Being a mic technician, I thought you would appreciate. it.
1: I really appreciate that you've done a very good job. Appreciate that. You know, that. you you have a you have potential for, you know. Another side career in the theatre. Well,
0: wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about that. I'll think about oh, that.
1: You know, coming back in the sound department.
0: Um, so, Jim, we're going to talk to you about um, being a sound technician. In, yes. in uh, particular, a radio mic
1: mm-hmm. technician. Yes.
0: Yes, which is fascinating. Yes. So hold that thought. First of all, though, do you know the first words that you ever spoke? Or have you been told by, by your parents?
1: No, I don't. All right,
0: forget that question.
1: What's <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's your favourite sound?
1: Ah, uh, my favourite sound. Oh, it sounds very boring. I love a little babbling brook sound. I love being in nature and listening to like the wind through trees and a babbling brook and just that silence. I love that, I could sit in that forever. Well, that's just a... gentle, just gentle plopping water.
0: And that's the Atmos sound, which you can sometimes access through uh, sleep apps too, isn't it? Yes,
1: that's yes, I've sound. heard that, yeah, yeah. So it is
0: very, very calming, yeah. very soothing.
1: But the problem with, I think the problem with me and apps like that is because of the way I've trained myself to listen to things, I hook onto that and I like it, doesn't become background noise to me because it's a new sound. So it would actually probably work in a different way until I, I guess I got sleepier and then fell asleep. But yeah.
0: Well, what sound do you detest?
1: Um, I don't really have a sound I detect. I realise
0: this is putting you on the spot
1: too. It is putting me on the spot. I mean, nails down the chalkboard, not really pleasant. I think, uh, like, I don't even mind traffic noise. i spend spent a lot of time living in the middle of cities. So I don't even, I don't really care about that. I don't mind. I've lived in places that have had trains nearby. So I don't even mind that. Because if they're far enough away, they do, they're just background noise. If it's something that's really close to me, like if I was in a really jarring, loud environment, like a concert and I was surrounded by people, uh, I wouldn't love that. Like really loud noises that are very close to me. I find that really wearing. But I don't have a particular sound that I hate, I don't think
0: because your work is um, so involved with with um, you know fine tuning your listening and
1: uh, yeah. being
0: aware of a lot of things. Yeah. You must enjoy silence when, when I you I love Yes, listen.
1: Absolutely. So like sometimes it's not unusual for me to like I've gone home on a Sunday night and not turned on anything. I haven't listened to a radio. I haven't turned the TV on. I've just had that Quiet, and I really, I really enjoy that. To have that because of the way that I, because you know, as part of my job, I have to listen to the radio mics, and really, particularly if there's a problem, I have to listen to that problem and diagnose it. And um, and even when I'm not listening to the microphones through a set of headphones i'm always listening to the show even whether it's consciously or subconsciously i'm always listening to the show and it's like when i when you work on a show every day everything's kind of the same you know um or there's a lot that's the same every day you know the music's played at a similar rate the songs are sung the the level of the music is kind of the same So when anything is different, I will immediately go, oh, that was weird, that was weird. And and it doesn't have to be a loud noise or anything. It just means that there's an anomaly somewhere and I will pick that up. So it's really, it's very strange how my hearing has, it's like I have two parts to my hearing, what I just would generally hear, you know, when I'm, Uh, watching TV or whatever but then when I'm working on a show uh, yeah I have this ability to really focus in on something and when you're when a microphone has broken or there's been a random noise that you've then got to diagnose because it's not always obvious what that problem is and it could be one of a million things um, when you're listening to that you're actually not listening to what's being said you just you focus in on that noise. You're just hearing that noise, and that's always surprised and fascinated me that I can do that with my hearing because you just don't think that you could. But you just block everything else out and you just listen to that noise.
0: Do you find that you're more attuned to those random noises in the middle of the night? I mean, if you hear a dog barking in the distance or a, a creak somewhere in the in the house.
1: Uh, if it was something in the distance. I wouldn't be if it was a creek in the house. I'd probably go. What's it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, uh, but no, it's it's definitely different at, when I'm at work and I'm and I'm listening, you know, for things because that's you know half of my job is waiting for things to go wrong. I
0: don't want to make you. out fixing be, them to be Lindsay Wagner and the Vionic Woman. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm not her.
0: (laughs) I'm not that good, Peter. (laughs) The powers of hearing. So are you fond of a show tune?
1: I do love a show tune. You'd you'd have
0: to be, really, in your your business.
1: There's certainly certainly, uh, musicals that are absolute favourites, but they're generally musicals that I've worked on. Uh, I was a big fan of a movie musical, I loved the movie musicals. You know, every time, every Saturday and Sunday, they would be on because there was Sunday
0: matinee of what the old classics, yes, too, like Showboat and absolutely. Oklahoma. Absolutely,
1: and there were, it's every weekend there was something, and so I lived for that. I loved them, uh, and I and I love what I do, but I think in a healthy way. I don't, I'm not obsessive about working in musical theatre. Uh, some people really like, you know, they live for it. Uh, but, you know, I really enjoy it. I think it's a fantastic job. But, you know, I don't have to be doing it if I don't want to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's go back to the, the beginning then. Yes. Back to Back to school days. Were, were yeah. you a performer as a kid? Or did you? Participate in uh, the school musical or community theatre or uh, dance class.
1: Dance class. I did dance classes. I um. I was originally. Mum sent me to jazz classes, because I was very little. I had. I grew very slowly, and people were concerned, and um and they said oh, and I had very weak ankles. Apparently. And so the doctors and everyone said, oh, you should put her in a dance class because it will help her, uh, you know, to strengthen things up. And uh, and I loved the jazz dance classes because they were fun and I got to, you know, I made new friends and I loved learning the routines and I loved doing them. I didn't love performing for other people, which I would eventually do ballet and... Um, and you know that was the thing we had ballet recitals every um uh, every year and I didn't love the performing aspect for people but I loved dancing it was a I just it was just a fun thing to do you know uh, but I was never and I did um, theatre in high school but I gravitated more towards the backstage I would do. In the crew. I was working on the crew, and right. I really enjoyed that because uh, I enjoyed making the props and, you know, helping to stage manage and do all of that. I really enjoyed that, but I really loved sitting and watching the process of the other kids acting and watching how they were directed and... I found that part of the process really fascinating and I didn't feel like I needed to do it I was just really happy to watch it and be involved in other ways it was I always knew that I didn't want to perform but I was always fascinated about that life because when I was growing up there was a family friend who knew a lot of the old vaudevillian performers, and every thursday he would have a dinner at gambara's restaurant and he would invite a group of them so it might have been the comedians like it was bobby lebrun and um like these famous people in their day but i was meeting them and they were in their 80s some of them were in their like late 70s. Some of them were into their 90s.
0: And they had two at Australia on and they the, had, the Sawleys 10th Circuit. Oh, and absolutely. They'd done Tivoli the Tivoli and,
1: Circuit. Yeah. And um, and then there were the dancers. There were the singers. Um, you know, Eddie Edwards. Jenny Howard was a really great friend of his. So we were off. she was often there. Um, Olga Verona, she was a... Um, a aerialist you know a famous aerialist but see i didn't know any of that i just knew these fascinating people who had these extraordinary lives and they had the most amazing tales and so very early on i think i was probably about maybe 11 or 12 until i was 16 this would happen nearly every thursday we would go and have dinner with all these people the boxes from the
0: shaman's Yes
1: um it would be some of them they would bring the latest boxes of the day who happened to be in town um they were probably the worst ones the boxes were delightful but they would all sit around and smoke cigars all night and i would just be green i'd be like oh (laughs) um but they were sweet all of them were sweethearts like they were just lovely interesting people and um and so i had from that age i kind of had this interest in the process of putting on a show and
0: and, and, and just and how
1: interesting these people were
0: you'd perhaps found your tribe even had, though they were decades old. i older. had
1: absolutely found my tribe because they weren't you know my grandmother would have been probably oh she would have been in her, in her late 60s or maybe even early 60s by then and you know my first memories of her she was an old lady she dressed like an old lady. Um, she took like an old lady. And she was in her 50s. Like, she was probably, like, just a little smidge older than I am now. And she was an old lady. And then I'm seeing these people who are older than her, who are vibrant, interesting people. And, like, even when uh, they used to do these shows called Roll Back the Years, and there was a, a big one that a lot of... Uh, people were actually travelling from overseas for that was being held at Twin Towns. and Because
0: um, you grew up in Brisbane, yeah?
1: I grew up in Brisbane, yes. And, and quite a few of them had moved to Tweed Heads uh, or the Gold Coast. There were, there were quite a few of them had retired there. And uh, there was this big show that was being done and Jenny said to me, um, I'm doing this, this act that I was famous for. Uh, years ago which was she would sing a song and she would tap dance on point and I was like i just couldn't imagine <laughs> I thought you're 82 and I was just like oh well that'll be interesting sure <laughs> and then she went out there and it was like watching a 20 year old tap dance on in the point shoes like a full tap dance number like it wasn't just Standing in one spot, you know, shuffling around.
0: And she was in her 80s.
1: She was 82. (laughs) And so I was like, I want to be like that when I'm 82. I want to be that, you know. So it was just, um, that's kind of what sparked it, I guess, for me. And then, yeah, I just.
0: Did you have a show folk in the family? I mean. No. But your grandmother knew all these people.
1: My, our family friend knew all these people. Friend, right, Yeah. Yes. So he was, um, he grew up in a very wealthy family and he just hung out with all these performers and travelled with the travelling shows and just because he really liked all these people and and so he'd go travelling with them. And uh, he was a bit of a rogue. But, um, you know, he had this fascinating life and knew all these fascinating people And and we were just lucky enough that... He loved us and invited us every week to these amazing dinners.
0: You require a, a special type of awareness, don't you, when you're young, to, to really yeah. appreciate the yeah. people that you're meeting and that, that you're working with. Because so yes. often you see kids have no idea of no the the, the history and the, the skill and the talent that the absolutely. people that they are working with yeah. possesses. It's important to know our history.
1: It is absolutely important to know our history. But I just... Yeah, it really sparked something in me because that, you know, I, I had no, there was no one in my family ever that were performers or, so I never had that appreciation for it. But I really, just listening to their stories, I really gained an appreciation of this amazing life they had. They got to travel yeah. to fantastic places. Which and, you've
0: got to do as well. Which then. I've
1: got to do as well. Yeah. I've lived in many parts of Asia For months on end, and it's been wonderful.
0: Did you have career aspirations then to go into show business? That was sort of the only thing that you were considering?
1: Um, I thought I would have liked to, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. Uh, Because a theatre course had started late 80s, then, uh, and... I had met some people who were doing that theatre course. I'd volunteered to do this um, this show, to do props on the show, and I met all of these um, kids who were in this theatre course. And... Um, Where was the course? It was at Kelvin Grove in Brisbane. Right. And I'd... I just I just didn't know... I'd volunteered to do this thing and i met all these people and they were like, oh, do you want to... Like, you should work in the industry. And I was like, well, I'd really like to, but I don't know what... You know, I don't know how to do that. And one of the girls went, oh, we need a props coordinator on this show. Do you want to do it? I'll put your name forward. And um, and that was for Le Bois Theatre in Brisbane. And it was a little, you know, theatre in the round. And, uh, and from that show, someone went, oh, I'm doing the next show. Do you want to... Uh, do you, I need a sound effects operator, we can't find anyone, do you want to be a sound effects operator?" And they went, well I don't know what I'm doing with that. Uh, and they were like, we'll teach you. And so I just had this amazing uh, apprenticeship at La Boite Theatre, everyone was lovely, and I was always very honest about that I didn't know a single thing. I did, looking back I did, I had skills but I just didn't have any confidence. Hungry to learn. I had no confidence about what I could do, but I was really eager to learn. And they were, because I was free, they were willing to let me do anything. And it was in those days, it was a pro-am theatre. So not many people got paid, but all of the the designers and um, technicians and... Uh, the actors, there were people that were either beginning their journey in professional theatre or were currently designers and directors in professional theatre and they would come and do these gigs at La Boite. So I had this, um, I was, you know, around all these people that were, you know, currently in the industry and had current industry knowledge, which I think was the most important thing. Because there were things that the kids were being taught in the school, in the college course, that weren't really current. Yeah. And so the um, there were some of the... Her Majesty's Theatre had shut um, a few years before, um, and that was in Queen Street. And some of the mechs used to come and help out for fun at La Boite and... Um, and one of them one day sidled up to me and he said, oh, there's a better way of doing that. And I'd been taught things that from the, um, the university kids. And he was like, there's a better way of doing it. And I said, oh, my God, you should tell everybody else. And he went, they think their way is better, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I think I was just so lucky. Yeah,
0: old school. Old school. How...
1: I was, because I was just so open about what I didn't know, uh... People were just, were like, here, we will show you. And were so generous with their knowledge. And it was, it was really fabulous. You know, I never, uh, I don't know. I just feel like I just kind of fell into it. And I think if I'd really forced the issue and tried to get into a college thing, I would have missed out on all of that. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's why I tell um, young kids wanting to work in the industry today that there are so many pathways. It's not just a training institution. Yes. Um, You just say yes to every experience. Everything. You don't know who you're going to meet. Exactly. Who you're going to work with, which will lead to something else.
1: Absolutely. And I really think that um, I've often said to people, you know, volunteer your services with a... If you think you want to work for a particular company... Or you think you want to work in a particular aspect of a theatre just volunteer your services for a couple of weeks or whatever because you will absolutely see whether it's for you or not because you don't really know until you get your hands on the job uh and you will meet people theatre people hire who they know you know you can send in all the resumes that you want but Unless they're desperate, uh, they will hire the people that they know first. Yeah. And so it's a really great way of uh, you testing them out and them testing you out.
0: Get your face in front of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: So uh, you then go on to the Tivoli Theatre. Yes. As a, a stage manager?
1: Sort of I started off... Jill of all trades. I was, I was 100% a Jill of all trades. I started off as there was me and another girl who were the stage managers of the... Well, ASM. I don't think we had a real proper stage manager. But um, it was the two of us backstage. And then for this particular in-house show. And then and then it just ended up being me. They kind of scaled down the in-house shows. And I would fly all of the scenery, push it around, do the costumes. I mean, it wasn't a very big show. And um, occasionally one of the... Um, the lovely Blair Marks who was our sound operator slash production manager or the lighting guy if I needed a second person they'd run around backstage and they'd give me a hand and then they'd run back and um and it was a fantastic experience the pay was terrible but uh again I just considered it to be you know my my apprenticeship and again I got to meet a lot of different people um who you know were just willing to teach me stuff
0: and and working in a pressured environment and mm. being forced to think on your feet and, and yeah. solve problems as they yeah. come
1: yeah because i it was me yeah and um it was often just me backstage uh, occasionally there was you know another crew person high but it was generally just another stage manager we would we really sort of do everything that was you know on my stage and I loved I loved flying all of the scenery that was so much fun um, again old
0: school you were pulling ropes I, I was imagine. pulling ropes yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so that was a really fun experience and it was we did our in-house shows but they we also had a lot of touring comedians and art bands all sorts of people come through. Dan- so you'd be dance schools,
0: attending to their riders, and
1: just everything. Yeah, making sure they're comfortable. Yeah, orientations. Yeah, just, we had tap dogs come through, and that was fun. They were there for about kind of a month. So we had a lot of different. It was a big variety, and um, and Doug Anthony Allstars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did their final hurrah through there. They were there for nearly a week, I think.
0: Is the Tivoli still there?
1: Tivoli is still there. Uh, it's pretty much a gig venue now. But it's beautiful. When Anne Garm set it up, um, they had the carpet hand loomed. So it was this beautiful. Like It was all um, a bit Art nouveau kind of vibe she had all of these beautiful engraved mirrors uh everywhere and this beautiful carpet and wrought iron um little balustrades everywhere and it was beautiful like big drapes and and uh round you know sort of round tables that people could sit and they would uh there was food that was served and often and uh it was a beautiful venue. I loved going there.
0: Opera Queensland next.
1: Opera Queensland.
0: <laughs> as a... You do that? <laughs> as a, a production manager of sorts, you were responsible for overseeing.
1: Yes, yes. I was an assistant production manager. Right. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, uh, the lovely Peter Baines was offered the job as production manager, and he um, he uh, I had worked with him on Secret Garden um, before I did uh, the Brisbane and Sydney seasons of Secret Garden. That was the
0: the GFO production? The GFO production.
1: And I love that production. Did
0: you do sound on that? Yes, that was my first radio mic gig. First gig? Okay. I
1: wasn't meant to be doing it at all. I was just meant to turn up and be an extra body in case there was a problem with the kids. And um, they said, we just need a female stage manager just for a couple of weeks because the keyboard... The other radio person was hired as the keyboard tech. Uh, And I got there on the first day of cast on stage and he couldn't get the keyboards to work. And so they handed me a bucket of radios and went, there's the cast. And I was like, you know I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I I didn't know about mic belts. I didn't know how... It was just a bare mic lead. It didn't have any clips on it. I had no idea how you attached it. I didn't know about tape. I knew absolutely nothing. And so all the cast were assembled. Um, I don't even know who was talking, whether it was the stage manager or the director or who it was, but he had them all assembled in the rear stage at Cupid. And they um, were listening to him, and I'm walking around all these people, like literally tucking on their sleeves, going, um, I meant to give you this. Like I had no idea. <laughs> and... All of them, bless their hearts, they were just the most wonderful company. Uh, All of them uh, were just so nice to me. They were like, oh, oh, just give that to me, you know, sticking it in their pocket. You know, some of them already had pins in their hands. The ladies had pins in their hands. And they were, you know, putting it on. and, and, And so they... Because everyone in the sound department was trying to get these keyboards to work, you know, and so I um and so after that experience, uh, I can't remember how the microphones got on people. I was just like in this absolute panic. Um, but the two boys, the head of sound Paul Tilly and Terry McKibben was the deputy. They were so great. They just taught me everything and there was they we had a few problems with some of the equipment, like there was weird noise there's just a bunch of weird shit happened. And um and they were just so patient with me. They just like, okay, hear this noise, Jan. This is what a blah 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 sounds like. And they inspired my love for the for it is I would never I would never in a million years have Considered working in sound. Never, I was like, that is absolutely beyond anything that I could do.
0: So it was a happy accident.
1: It was an absolute happy accident. <laughs> yeah. But Blair, who had been our production manager at the Tivoli, he had gone to QPAT and he he was the one who went. oh, I know a female stage manager, and he rang me and he said, Will you do you want to do this? And I was like, I can't do that. You know, I've bluffed my way through many scenarios but I can't bluff my way through that and he was like no no you won't have to do anything famous last words um but you know that was a life-changing experience for me
0: at QPAC and uh Upper
1: Queensland at QPAC well the radio mics at Upper Queensland that was that was um that was a bit of a tangent uh that was a life-changing experience for me so then I met so Peter was on that he was a production manager of that and then he said come and be my assistant production manager um, at Opera Queensland, and I, yeah, I knew nothing, and he didn't really, know, he didn't really know anything about doing that for an opera company either, so um, it was the blind leading the blind. But look, you know, I worked there for three years. I kept getting asked back, and um, you really must doing something wrong. Right. Well, you know, it was extremely rocky. Uh, it was nothing like working in theatre. Uh, I was really out of my depth. I, many times I went, I shouldn't be doing this. I should have just passed on the job to somebody else. But you know, I kind of got through it, and they didn't sack me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed, and I was learning a lot. I kind of hated it. I spent I spent the first few months having. Uh, there was there's a little river that goes through South Bank um, that had like little boats on it and then they stopped the boats and it was just like a little river they'd blocked off areas and there was a section of that right near Upper Queensland and uh, little ducks had taken it over and um, and so we used to go and stand by and cry at lunchtime oh, did you <laughs> it was terrible it was terrible oh. but I learned a lot. what doesn't kill you what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, um, and, you know, I survived it. But I became more cautious after that because I really... I think because I, you know, the early part of my career was saying yes to everything and it went really well. It really went my way. Um, and, you know, I said to this, I guess, thinking it would be a similar experience. And uh, it was very different and it was harder but you know I met some really lovely people working for an opera company is it's a whole other world but fascinating really fascinating people uh and I love the operas I really gained an appreciation for them and and uh you know there were the international maestros were completely nuts but you know lovely (laughs) some of them were delightful uh so yeah it was i'm glad i did it but it was it was hard and so then i had in um 98 i had i was offered um the opportunity to do uh into the woods for melbourne theatre company um doing radios for them in melbourne Uh or take on another another um another season at Upper Queensland and and the pay wasn't very good and I said, you know, I would like more money and they were like, You're not gonna get it and I went, Okay And so I went and did Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Um and and that was and that was the best decision I ever made because then I really I started to tour uh, a lot and
0: um, and got hooked
1: and really got hooked yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. so uh, Secret Garden was about 1995 95 yeah yeah so you're approaching your thirtieth year as a a radio mic technician yeah in I've done a it of years. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So what sort of, what are the shows that you've worked on in that time? You know, in, Into the Woods, you say, Secret Garden, Ideal Husband, we worked on, I Wizard of Oz.
1: Wizard of Oz, twice. G- yes, okay. The Return yeah. Season. Ran to his, uh, yeah, Frozen. Did Frozen. Uh, Phantom of the Opera. Um, Little Top of Horrors. My Fair Lady. Uh, Was that the,
0: the Dame Julie production?
1: No. Because no. the, uh, there's
0: been a few Fair Ladies. Yes. Yeah.
1: It was in '96. Uh, Anthony Warlow. Anthony Wallow.
0: and uh, Suzanne Johnson.
1: Yes, oh. yes. Um, and that was a that was a wonderful production. <laughs> I've had a misspent uh, youth. The set, <laughs> <laughs> the set nearly killed a few people, but that's another story. Um, uh, Guys and Dolls, the one that was in 2008.
0: Gary McDonald, Marina Pryor. Gary McDonald,
1: Marina Pryor. Magda Shabansky Lisa McCune in Stanlake um that was a fun one did Billy Elliot uh Mamma Mia twice Wizard of Oz twice Sound of Music twice uh Wicked for a long time uh recently did Frozen now I'm Mary Poppins um there's been a lot.
0: And do you um, mic up uh, everybody in the show or do you get to specialise in just the principals or ensemble? Is, is, is there a team of you? That there's does a the team all of, that? of us, right. there's a
1: team of us. So we have a front of house operator and me and another person backstage. And the, so I'm the A plot. Uh, the deputy will often do the B plot. Um, which is the ensemble. A Plot generally does just the principals. And uh, when the front of house operator comes backstage, the deputy goes out and he mixes the show, and then that head of department will also do the radios. Uh, But on a show that's got a lot of kids, normally I will do the principals and all of the kids, and the other plot will do... Um, the male and female ensemble. Female ensemble will generally mic themselves up. We just monitor, we just double check them, make sure they're pinning, pinning their microphones onto their stocking caps the way we want them to. Uh, there's always a method, uh, there's a lot of ways that I kind of insist on things being done because I know that it will minimize any problems. In the future like if microphones go on a certain way if they're taped in a certain way if they're set in the mic belt a certain way uh it will be more comfortable for the actor which is very uppermost is one of the most important things in in my I think that is so important because if they're happy if it's comfortable on them they're happy if it's set up properly um it's It's got to be good for the wig department. It's got to be good for the wardrobe department. If we set any of that up badly, it's going to go poorly for me because those microphones will get yanked. They'll get damaged in some way. So... Uh, it's all about making all the other departments happy but ultimately that serves me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it means that my equipment doesn't get damaged uh, or whatever
0: you're working with a lot of show veterans who obviously know the the radio mic technique but yep. a lot of novices who are doing their very first show
1: we have a lot of we have a lot of people who there's not a lot of people who do what I do exclusively yeah. you know there's a lot of people who use it as a stepping stone to stepping stone to become a front of house operator but it's um uh and I think my job historically has not had a very good reputation because a lot of people are just chucked into doing radio mics and they're not trained and so they do a shitty job and so everyone complains and everyone just thinks that 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 is normal and but I can really make things miserable for people if I didn't for the front of house operator for the actors for everybody I could make that a really crap show just by not doing my job very well you know on Frozen I would spend the entire act removing like swabbing the sweat off people's foreheads and microphones so that they could be heard when they went out if I don't do that that microphone dies or they sound like they're singing through a bucket of water because there's this big globule of water sitting on the end of their microphone. And it sounds terrible.
0: Because they're a big musical. A lot of those performers sweat ah, a lot.
1: And yeah. in Frozen, they are in layers of big, heavy, you know, coats. And, you know, if the air, if the theatre is air-conditioned backstage, well, it's comfortable for me. <laughs> <laughs> but not when that person's wearing a big, thick, woolen, you know, whatever. So, um, and, you know, if the microphone slips under a wig or it, you know, slips under a hat or there's many things that, you know, I have to do to make sure that that, uh, again, all of that remains comfortable for the actors. Everything is, you know, I'm always watching, um, you know, doing quick changes and things to make sure nothing's getting yanked. To make sure that it's good for the dressers. Dressers won't often complain. Um, But I want to make it easy for them. Because again, ultimately, it makes our show a much smoother show.
0: Does everyone in the show wear uh, a radio mic?
1: Generally, yeah.
0: And are you working with radio mics that have been used in previous shows? Or is a whole new set purchased for...
1: Uh, the actual microphones are all purchased brand new generally. Yeah. Uh, if it's a really budget show, uh, sometimes depending on the sound company, they will have microphones that are used often. If you go to Cupid, they will have, you know, a bunch of microphones that have been used before they get used, um, on other, um, you know, that are just available for anyone to use as they come through. But uh, if I'm setting up a show, every single one of those microphones will be brand new. And, um, and the transmitters, uh, where on Frozen we got brand new ones and on this one we've got brand new ones uh, and they're a thing of beauty. But, um, you know, you, can have, you could have transmitters that are five years old or 25 years old. It just depends.
0: And are they using um, new batteries every night? Do you have to sort of fill them with batteries or are you able to keep an eye on the amount of power left in there?
1: Yes. Well, because of the technology that we have, a lot of those, um, uh, a lot of the, the radio racks, a lot of the um, receivers that we use, um, there is, we have a means to monitor if not on the actual unit itself um, there are programs that we can use where all of that information is uh, sent into a computer and we we basically have a a digital version of what that radio rack looks like and um, it will show you the level of battery power and it will give you warnings if it's getting really low or if they're about to die but nowadays on shows, we used to go through uh, alkaline batteries, you know, good, good brands of alkaline batteries. Um, and in recent years, they've tried to uh, switch to rechargeable batteries, mm-hmm. which were not great in the beginning. Uh, and they've definitely gotten better as um, time has gone on. The batteries that we're using, we've got the latest um, Sennheiser 6000 series uh, transmitters which are the best, they're not very new. Um, And they have their own battery, which is a rechargeable battery. And um, we have those on frozen and we have them on this one. And um, yeah, they're amazing, they last for 15 hours. So there's no changing of batteries in between shows and uh, we put them in in the morning and then they're still going strong by the end of the day.
0: They're a very delicate, precise technology. They, yeah. I imagine they come at quite a cost. What would what would a radio mic be worth, a good radio mic? Oh,
1: they're... They really... Well, I don't know... I know as a package they can be... Um, anywhere between eight and $12,000 for the receiver and the actual transmitter. And the microphones are about 650 to $700 each. Wow. And, you know, it's not unusual to, you know, start a show off with 80 or 90 of those brand-new microphones. Wow. So it's a lot of money that is put in.
0: And the, the capacity for pickup, I mean, if you're wearing one in your week mm-hmm. and you're singing, I mean, it, it's... What am I trying to say? I'm not sure of the technology, but but the the amplification that they can pick up, the sounds that they can pick up. Mm. You know, we're we're speaking directly into this microphone in front of us now. Yeah. But a radio mic was on top of my head.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. It really is extraordinary. And some of the microphones are so tiny. Like, they're like a grain of rice. Like, they're that little. And to get... I don't understand how they do... How they make that happen and the lead is minuscule uh yeah it's yeah it's a little bit magic in a lot of ways with um yeah how all that happens and also it always never ceases to amaze me and again you know i probably should have done more research in um about but i just you know i turn up for work and marvel that you know someone can be on stage singing and it can get picked up by a microphone that you know, gets picked up by an antenna, goes to the receiver, the information gets processed, it gets sent out to the desk. Like, all of that's happening in fractions of a second. Yeah, yeah. Like, how all of that happens never ceases to amaze me.
0: But they it's become... Incredible. They become... Yes, they de- certainly develop as the years go by, but yeah. remember, you'd put them in a costume and you could hear them ruffle Ruffles against us. <laughs> yes. But now, uh, you go to the theatre, you don't hear any of that anymore.
1: No, well, I think it's, it's, it's mic placement. I mean, if I put it in costuming, you would still get that. Right. So that hasn't changed. Right, right. But um, sometimes if someone's got a, if their wig is really tight and the microphone is sitting under the wig lace, right. just them singing and using their facial muscles can make that mic move under the, because it's, if it's trapped quite tightly. Yeah move under the wig lace and it will make a noise. Yeah. So you'll still get that, but, um, yeah, they're extraordinary to have the, uh, yeah, it's amazing.
0: We've all heard those stories of, um, the actor who's gone off stage and maybe gone to the bathroom or back to the dressing room and,
1: yes, uh, or swore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: whose responsibility is it to turn, turn off and is it good practice for an actor? Not to perhaps speak for several a couple of oh, minutes or so before.
1: Absolutely, it's it is the front of house operator's job. They will they are working just as hard as it as anybody else on that stage. Really, they are mixing every line. So if you're about to speak, they will uh, move a fader, a this button up. Um, it's on a little track, and they will move it up. To make you loud, so that you can say that line, and then as soon as you've said that line, or you're not needed anymore, you will be immediately taken out. Mm. But sometimes things happen. Other things. There is a lot of equipment at front of house that could go wrong. They're doing sound effects. They're looking after the band, um, and every other actor is on stage. Mm. So if any, if any of that fails at any time and their attention is taken away for a second uh, that that fader may not be taken out as briskly as it would normally be (laughs) Um, and so it's really it's really important that actors kind of take that responsibility to not as soon as they you know
0: enter the wings
1: enter the wings uh, to just not speak for a bit. Hmm.
0: Well, as somebody who has worn a radio mic a few times, yes. it's quite easy to forget that you are wired for sound. Oh, it is, and absolutely. although you might have been faded down and the audience can't hear you, yes. you're in a very Other privileged position. <laughs> you can hear everything which is said.
1: It, it, it is true, but uh, we have to be very careful because... I mean, it really what, comes after what, what a classification of, yeah. of eavesdropping if yeah. we deliberately yes. Tuned listened to, yeah, yeah. to that. Um, and so, and you know, if anyone catches you, if you're sitting there listening to someone, it's very obvious, you know, it's very obvious who you're listening to if you are listening to someone. And if someone caught you out, I mean, mm. that would be... That trust that you had built up destroyed in an nanosecond, yeah, yeah. and everybody would know about it. Yeah,
0: so you all have to abide by professional oh, ethics. Yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. And so we have a real thing like because we have to listen to the microphones when everyone before everyone goes on stage, and um, and if someone's about to have a say a solo line or something, you will and they're already on stage, you will give them a quick listen just to make sure they're still working. Because sometimes you can get a hair in the microphone or they've sweated it or whatever and you really want to give the front of house operator as much time to you know mute that person or figure out how they're going to get around that whether they use somebody else's microphone who's standing near them or whatever and uh so you know you really want to give them as much um, as much information as quickly as possible, but we um you don't you don't listen to anyone's microphone. You'll listen to them for like really a second, no more than two seconds, because if they're making a bad noise, you can assess the quality within that time uh, easily. You know, and so you. You generally don't hear anything. You might hear the odd toilet moment, uh, with someone weeing, but you know generally it's like listening, listening, listening. And then if um, but if there's a problem, and I have to listen to them, normally that person is on stage, and so I'm trying to diagnose the problem whilst they're singing on stage or doing whatever. And um, but again, you know, even if they weren't on stage. Uh, and we had to listen in i would one person would kind of be listening in trying to assess it while i went and grabbed that person or tried to get that person to come to the radio rack um so there's we never we deliberately never place ourselves in a position where we hear anything because it's you just don't want to hear any of that either you don't want to be the keeper of that that knowledge And the only time it's ever happened where I heard something, I was flicking through and I got to this person and I said, I'm pregnant. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> and this person was, you know, a leading lady. And I knew that she was in negotiations for the next city. And I was like, and I can never reveal it. And I didn't. I told no one. And then the other, there was another person that I was working with and they went, I have to tell you something. And, and I went, what? And he went, I was pregnant. And I was like, because ah! <laughs> he had heard it as well. And, um, but you just don't, you just, you don't ever want, you don't ever want to be the gatekeeper to any of that knowledge. You just, you just don't want to hear it. And so we just don't place ourselves in that position because <laughs> it's pretty shitty, but yeah, I mean, people forget. Yeah. Yeah, people forget they've got their right on. Or sometimes they will, you know, actors will be a bit naughty and they'll go, listen to me at this point. And so you'll listen to them at that point in the show and they'll be like saying something vile or hilarious to you. But, you know, it's a it's a designated moment that they have asked you to listen to them because they want to be naughty because they're bored.
0: And it keeps you all sane, I guess, during well, a long run.
1: It really does. Yeah. 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 And if it doesn't affect the show yeah. or the quality of the show. Yeah. Then it's okay.
0: You've just uh, were about to finish uh, um, uh, uh, the Sydney season of a terrific show, Mary yes, Poppins. Yes, Mary
1: Poppins. I
0: thought it was so—it's such a magical show. It must be oh, fun to work on.
1: It's so beautiful, and it's one of those shows that I feel so lucky to be working on because not only is the show stunning and like beautiful, like it's such a beautiful classic show. The crew are the loveliest people on the planet as are the cast. Like it really, and the management, like everyone in that building is just a really lovely human being. And it's, you know, it's not that other shows are full of assholes, but, you know, you really don't, like it's a joy to turn up to work uh, because, you know, you're just going to have a nice fun time everyone's just taking responsibility for their shit no one's trying to stir up trouble or anything and so it's just lovely to come to work and work on this beautiful show
0: and i assume you're not well i mean you're working for the producers but um is the sound department contracted are you working for a company
1: Yes, I work for a company called JPJ Audio. They used to be called Jans. What's oh, okay, right? okay. we well,
0: know Jans, yes.
1: Jans. And um, so they get hired, the sound company gets hired by the producers, uh, and and then they hire me.
0: So the, the company bring along all the staff and all the equipment to yeah to make the show sound good?
1: Yeah, and it's in the, um, you know, the producers or the associate designers often have a say as to who they want um and you know i've been around for a long time now so most people you know kind of know Mm, what they're getting nearly 30 years with me exactly (laughs) so it's um and you know i know the uh shelly lee she's our associate designer i used to work with her at system sound so it's um yeah, it's nice to have that familiarity with all of these people because it's they they know what to expect from me. I know what what they want, and and there's a level of trust that they just go, oh, you just you just make that happen, and I really love that because no one's trying to micromanage me or you know looking at my shoulder going, what are you doing that for? They just they just know that. I will deliver what they want and, um, and I really love that I love that because you know I'm working with a department of two other people and and we each have our slice of the system that we deal with um, and it's only a little department and it's uh, I don't know we're just allowed to do our job and do what we need to do to make it all happen. It's not a lot of personalities to manage. And, um, yeah, it's just lovely.
0: Well, next stop, Brisbane, uh, your next old Brisbane. stomping ground. I think yes. around October 20, I think,
1: uh,
0: Maria Poppins takes off. You're finishing in Sydney on the 11th, I believe.
1: Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Um,
0: so that's a lot of another opening night. Yes. Do you enjoy opening nights? Is, is there a... a, a pressure or stress associated with each one
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's often really stressful it depends like normally the first opening night is super stressful because you have everyone there all of the designers from overseas often they've come from the US or the UK and then you'll have all the Australian associates like just every man and his dog is there and uh and if there's even the remotest thing, you'll get oh, hair in Michael's microphone. Hey, and it's just like, everything was perfect, except for this two seconds of a hair tickling the microphone. But like, that's what they'll, you know, yeah, that's what they'll bring up. up. Yeah. And, um, and then generally as you move, there's less of those people. Ah, so there's, you know, less pressure. I mean, Karen McIntosh was in the building for like two whole weeks as was the lovely George Stiles, who wrote Practically Perfect and other songs in the show. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, like, this show is their baby, you know. And so there's a lot of people that you don't want to disappoint. And so it is, it is stressful. Everyone's, everyone's well aware of that.
0: Are you superstitious in the theatre, backstage? No,
1: no, I don't have any, um, rituals or anything, but I kind of feel like when, cause it takes us over an hour to preset all the microphones in the mic belts and in the hats, we've got them in tap pants. Um, uh, we have these trackers in various bits of equipment, so it takes us a long time to do that pre-show and in a way that's kind of my ritual i you know i do things in a particular way every time and and by the time i've done all of that and we've checked the microphones it's like i am now ready to do the show and anything can happen but i don't have any superstitions about things in general
0: are you still set up op in that corner there is that Where uh, radio mics are, or are you somewhere else now?
1: No, we're somewhere else now. Oh, we're we're, at, we're on prompt side, right. um, near the on-stage toilet. It's an exciting place to be.
0: An on-stage toilet. <laughs>
1: there's a little. It's a little. Is that dress- a, a porta potty? Or? A, no, no. There's no, a little right. dressing room that has the only on-stage toilet in the theater. I don't know why they don't put more toilets on the stage level of the theater anyway, so we get a lot of passing traffic, a lot of people coming to say hi. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) I hate to finish on that note, but um, we will will finish there with the on-stage toilet. The
1: on-stage toilet.
0: Jen Morgan, it has been such a delight catching up with you again and hearing all about uh, the work of the radio mic technician. Thank you. Um, Have fun for the next leg of Mary Poppins. Um, and, and congratulations and, and thank you for the, the splendid work that you do in in thank making you. us uh, our enjoyment of, of those big shows um, so much more with um, perfect, practically perfect, no, I'm not going to say practically perfect perfect <laughs> sound
1: <laughs> well thank you and it's just been so lovely to see you again, you were, I just had such a fun time every time I met with you it was fun, oh, it, it was really
0: nice I'll have to do, I'll have to go back on the stage, won't I? So we can work you together. will. Yes. All right. I insist. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Thank you. You can hear Jennifer's work in Mary Poppins when it plays the Lyric Theatre Queensland Performing Arts Centre from October 22nd. She is just one cog in the considerable sound staff who work on a show to ensure we hear every word and guide us in totally immersive experiences. Thanks, Jen. Great to catch up and have fun in Brizzy. Thank you for your company and listening to this episode. I know that the Stages podcast has a very loyal listener base, which is continuing to grow, reaching far and wide. It's always great to hear your feedback and suggestions. Follow the show via our socials on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or send us an email at stagespodcastpete at gmail. Dot com. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe and I'll catch you next time you know where, on stages.